Sometimes serving others can seem overwhelming. One day I was helping to lead a youth group. It was my uh, summer internship back in 2010. 2010, it seems like forever ago now. Um, I was working with a youth group in Ohio, and for a community project, we went out to a local nursing home. And that afternoon, as we sat down to eat at the nursing home, a man, I'd say probably around 40 years old, um, who looked like he had no control over his body or his mind anymore, uh, leaned over and started to mumble incoherently at me. And this went on for a while. So I smiled politely and I tried to ignore what was going on until slowly, repeated syllable after repeated syllable after repeated syllable, I started to hear words forming. Can you pray for me? I was shocked. I had nearly overlooked this man because I had thought he wasn't there mentally, and here he was asking me for prayer. I came to learn that he had lost control over his body when some illness had attacked his system, leaving him a prisoner in his own body and weakening his mental ability. As I got to know this man over the next day and a half, I, I felt completely in over my head in ministering to him. What could I provide when he couldn't even get his legs to hold him up? When he rarely got to see his own two kids and when he could hardly speak. All of us, all of us who follow Christ Jesus are called to serve others, but sometimes serving others and meeting their needs can require more of us than we have. As God brings people into our lives who are broken, who have needs beyond what we can imagine helping with, we are still called to serve, even when it seems impossible. Today we're going to uh, talk about our call to serve others, and we will look at the stories found in Mark chapter 6, verses 32 through 56. If you do need a Bible, you can slip up a hand, and one of our ushers will provide you with one. But we're going to be in Mark chapter 6, verses 32 through 56. <clears throat> and today we're going to see, we're going to go through uh, a little bit of three steps here. First, we're going to look at the test that the disciples faced as they were called to serve. The, the test that the disciples faced as they were called to serve. And second, what lesson we should learn from their failures. What lesson we should learn from their failures. And third, how we should apply that to our lives today. So we're going to look at their, the test that they were call, put in as they were called to serve. Uh, the lesson we can learn from their failures, and then we're going to look at how we could apply that. Now, before we jump into this passage, it's really important that we understand what's been going on in the story so that we can pick up some details and some insight into what we're going to read today. Now, at the beginning of chapter 6, Jesus gathered his 12 disciples, and he sent them out to preach and to serve. And he gave them an interesting dress code telling them to bring nothing but their sandals, one cloak, and a staff, nothing else. This is how you're all going to come to church next week. So be prepared. Get your sandals and your cloak. 
sandals, one cloak, a staff, and nothing else. Now the disciples, hopefully, would have recognized where this dress code came from. It's the exact same dress code that the Lord gave to Israel when he brought them out of Egypt. It was a symbol that they were to depend on him when they faced difficulty. Just as Israel had to rely on the Lord for their every need when they were brought out of Egypt. So he sends them out this way to preach and to serve and also letting them know that he was giving them, this is important to remember for later, he was giving them power over evil spirits and warning them that they would face opposition. At the end of the story, after they had gone out to preach and to serve in the face of opposition, Jesus calls them away with him. So a few things to remember. Jesus has already sent them out on their own to serve. He's told them that he should re- they should rely on him by giving them this dress code. He's also given them power and authority over evil. And now he's calling them away with him. Now those details will come back later. As we come to verse 32, we find that they went away with Jesus to a desolate place alone. Far from being a time of retreat and leaving their mission behind, uh, this seems to be the next step in the discipleship process, a next step in their testing as they learn and grow out in the wilderness. Now, as they headed to this wilderness destination, people who recognized them noticed them on their way and were told that these people ran on foot from all the towns and got to the wilderness destination before they could even land the boat. So they're not getting away from the crowd. The crowd is running on foot around the lake and getting there ahead of them. Now, verse 34, when they land, Jesus looked out on the crowd. And this is beautiful. We are told that he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without shepherd in other words they had no one to lead them so having compassion on this leaderless crowd jesus began to teach them and as it got late the disciples said to jesus this is a desolate place and the hour is now late send them away to go out into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat They tell Jesus to dismiss these people. They tell him to send the problem away. The disciples tell Jesus to send the problem away. Verse 37, Jesus disagrees with them. And he responds, you yourselves give them something to eat. Jesus is straight to the point with them. Jesus actually stresses the word you here in the Greek. He stresses the word you. There is a problem. These leaderless people need served. So Jesus tells his disciples, you guys take care of them yourselves. But the disciples seem to think this command is a little bit of a stretch, a little bit of an impossibility. They say to Jesus, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Now, there's a bit of sarcasm in the disciples' response here. 
to understand what might be going on with these responses, we should remember what happened previously in the story. Jesus had sent these guys out to the villages to preach, but he had sent them on their way without any of their belongings, without any food. And this takes place immediately afterwards. They were to depend on him as they ministered. Now here they are in the wilderness, in the middle of nowhere, still not having anything with them. And Jesus is expecting them to feed a massive multitude of people. The text says that there were 5,000 men there. Now this doesn't include the count of the women and children. It was normal to just count the, the men so you could get an idea of how big the crowd was. Women and children included, there were probably twelve to 18,000 people there all together. So this would be like having a massive arena full of hungry people. And Jesus said, feed them yourselves. These 12 guys who have nothing with them. The disciples essentially respond with a snarky response saying that, you know, if, if we had a, a half a year's wages, something like $25,000 today, then they could serve these people. But Jesus tells them to go and check what they have anyway. But we were told they were only able to come up with five loaves of bread and two fish. Verse 39, Jesus commanded everyone to sit on the grass in groups of hundreds and fifties and taking these five loaves and these two fish, this very humble meal, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples to give out to the people. He took the fish and divided them as well. By the time the people had finished eating, we're told that they were all satisfied. Five loaves and two fish, 12 to 18,000 people fed and satisfied by the bountiful hand of Jesus, the Messiah, the great provider. Now in verse 34, after everyone had finished, the disciples picked up exactly 12 baskets full of leftovers, enough left to provide for each of them. Now, early in the chapter, the 12 were supposed to rely on God to provide, taking nothing with them. Now he has commanded them to give of what they have to others. To give of what they have to others. And he's shown them that they should depend on him for all their needs. They're supposed to give away what they have to others and depend on him for all their needs. The lesson for them is, in this is that they should not rely on themselves, not rely on themselves to meet the needs of others, but should look to Christ. They should look to Christ. One commentator said it this way, successful ministry involves meeting people's needs in the power of God. Successful ministry serving others involves meeting people's needs in the power of God. Disciples are to rely on Christ to enable them. To serve others. Disciples are to rely on Christ to enable them to serve others. But the test 
It's not over for the 12. They were about to be challenged by yet another impossible situation. You'd think the lesson was over, but Jesus immediately compels them. The Greek word pretty much suggesting that he is forcing them to get back into the boat and return across the sea without him. So this isn't Jesus saying, hey, guys, why don't you go ahead without me? It's like, get back in the boat, go. He's compelling them to go without him. It's clear that he has something up his sleeve for them. It's time for another test in their growth process. In the Gospel of Mark, whenever the 12 disciples find themselves separated from Jesus, they fall into distress. Jesus stays behind and he dismisses the crowd and he goes up onto the mountain to pray while the disciples sail away without him. Now in the evening, Jesus saw that the disciples were having difficulty making headway on their journey because the wind was coming against them. This seems to be more than your average storm, however. In Hebrew culture, the stormy seas are often associated with evil and chaos. The sea represents evil again and again throughout the Old Testament, particularly the Psalms. And you could see this over and over again, where even Satan is compared to Leviathan, the great sea monster. The Greek text here literally says that this storm was tormenting them. The storm was tormenting them. A word that hints here that there were demonic forces behind it now if we look back to the previous sections of this chapter we see that jesus had sent out his disciples to do ministry while giving them power over demonic forces so this is something that they have authority over we're told in chapter three and in chapter six that he had given them power over evil and chaos and here they are being tormented by a demonic storm He has sent them out on their way again. And their authority over evil hasn't changed. They have been given power over it. Test number one was to rely on Christ as they themselves provided for the crowds. And this second test was to rely on him as they faced demonic power alone. But they did not. And Jesus noticed. So sometime between 3 and 6 a.m., he came to them. Note that he saw them in the evening, and he waited till about 3 or 6 in the morning. He wanted them to learn something. He came to them at 3 to 6 in the morning, walking on the sea. Verses 48 through 49 says that he meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought that it was a ghost. And they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. Now we should pause here and uh, take note of a few important details that link back to the Old Testament. We all know that it is miraculous for Jesus to walk upon the water. But what we may not realize is that the Old Testament in Job, Job chapter 9, verse 8, which Clint weaved into our call to worship this morning, teaches that only God could trample the waves of the sea. Only God could trample the waves of the sea. Job 9.8 says that God alone 
his power to do that. Exercising his full authority over evil and the elements. Now, it could also seem strange to us that the text says that Jesus meant to pass by them like he's leaving them alone. However, if <laughs> that's, that doesn't mean that he was intending to leave them alone in their distress. You see, in the Old Testament, when we are told that God passes by someone, it means that he's showing himself to them when they're going through a difficulty. When God passes by someone, he's revealing himself to them in their distress. And we are told that God passed by both Moses and Elijah when they needed it. In what we call a theophany, a special appearance of God in which he reveals himself to those in need. And now Mark is indicating that the point of this lesson is for the disciples to look and see Christ revealing that he is God to them as he passes by in their distress. The God who alone can trample the waves of the sea. This is a glimpse at his deity that he is, he is allowing them to see here. A revelation to them that while he is a man who walked around with them, he was still the ruler and sustainer of the universe, holding their very atoms together at that very moment, fully all-powerful God in the flesh with the very elements of creation at his every beck and call. But despite all that, all the amazing things that Jesus is showing them, their fear overcomes them. They don't get it. So Jesus calls out to them saying, Take heart, a go a me, a go a me, or it is I. Would say it in Hebrew, Yahweh. I am Yahweh, which is the name which God calls himself. You see, you don't have to say that phrase that way in Greek could have just said Amy I am but he's saying I am Jesus seeing their terror comforts them and lets them know that he is God himself Yahweh and then in the midst of their fear Yahweh climbed into the boat with them the God of the universe Yahweh climbed into the boat with them And immediately the storm ceased. And the disciples were utterly amazed. Now it's a little sad that when Jesus had fed the multitude, the disciples weren't amazed. But the crowd was. We're told that the crowd was amazed by what Jesus has done, but Mark doesn't say anything about them being amazed by that event. But here, they were finally amazed by this great act having seen him do something amazing like feeding twelve to 18,000 people with a small meal, you'd think that they would have been prepared for this miracle as well. But if we look at verse 52, Mark tells us that they were amazed because they didn't understand the loaves. But their hearts were hardened. Their hearts were hardened. They weren't getting who Jesus is. And how great his power is. 
that he is Yahweh himself walking among them and that if he ever stopped being God, they would cease to exist. They don't get who he is, that this man that they walk around with daily is also God, even when it's right in front of their faces. What it seems like Mark is saying here is not only that they didn't recognize his power, but that they were also slow to realize that they had a role to play in what he was doing. They had a part to play. And Mark focuses on the disciples handing out the bread earlier in the story, and he comes back again to it here in verse 52, mentioning it one more time. They failed to recognize his power and also fail to allow themselves to be enabled by that power to partake in his work. He wanted them to hand out the loaves and and take care of the people. He sent them out with authority over evil. But they were failing to recognize his power and to be enabled by it to do his work. And we know that Mark wants us to realize that they were failing because he does something here in the story that Matthew's gospel does not. Mark skips right over the episode where Peter walks on the water and he goes immediately and shines the light on the disciples' defeat in their test, telling us that after all these failures to recognize the power of Christ, the disciples land in the wrong place. This is what we call a comedy of errors highlighting the problem again and again. They land in the wrong place, Gennesaret, instead of Bethsaida, which they were originally heading to. It's the final exclamation point on this story of their failure. And ironically, don't miss the irony here, while the disciples didn't recognize this whole time, his power, or even him, while he came to them on the sea, we are told that the People of Gennesaret, this town where they land, recognize him and his power immediately and brought the sick from all over to be healed by him. These people are getting it. They're realizing who he is, even when the disciples are blind by their ignorance. Jesus, the all-powerful one, Yahweh himself in the flesh calls his disciples to partake of his ministry as they serve others. As his followers, as his disciples, we are called to serve others and to meet their needs. As his disciples, we are to rely on Christ to serve others in impossible situations. This is the fill in the blank on the back if you need it. Rely on Christ to serve others in impossible situations. There was a lady named Lydia Hart who delivered meals to low-income senior citizens with the charity Meals on Wheels. Now, lots of people do that. That's not that outstanding, but Lydia was 101 years old. She rode shotgun and navigated for her 72-year-old partner, helping the little old ladies, the nickname that she called the women who she served. She would speak of the blessing that she got from being of service, saying, it's fun for me and a chance to get out. It gives me something to do. 
even at over a century old, 101, Lydia took what she had and employed it in the service of others. What a challenge for us. What a challenge for us. Serving others can be difficult. And that difficulty may come from our age or maybe from our lack of it. Maybe sometimes some of our young people feel that they're too young to serve. You know, it was interesting uh, that day in the nursing home with that that man who had no control over his body. Um, I believe it was the next day, day two, I was walking around, checking on the teens, seeing what was going on with the mission trip. And I, I see this man in a wheelchair being pushed around the nursing home, and he had a big pile of Snickers bar in his lap. Um, it was a little bit weird. And one of our 12-year-old middle schoolers was pushing him. And I came to find out that this mid-schooler who, you know, it's I could barely keep his attention during Bible lessons, and here he had been sitting in this man's room just trying to understand the man and listen and ask him questions about his life. This man who could take a full minute just for him to get a sentence out for you. This 12-year-old went and sat with him in this incredibly difficult, challenging circumstance and served this man. And the man decided that (laughs) he wanted to serve us back. So they grabbed some cash. They went to the vending machine together and grabbed all the Snickers bars they could and went and found our team and gave them out. Perhaps some circumstances stretch us to serve in situations in which we think we aren't capable. After all, what do you do when someone who's homeless and struggling with mental illness sits next to you in church? What do you do when you get a call from someone you barely even know who just lost a loved one? What do you do when that neighbor who doesn't agree with your beliefs shares that they have cancer? Serving others and meeting their needs can be extremely challenging. But as disciples of Jesus, it is something that we're all called to do. The question is, will you rely on Christ to serve others? You see, the disciples failed to realize that they were being called to serve others through Christ's miraculous work. They had God himself sending them out, and he alone is powerful enough to meet people's needs in any and every circumstance. We are called to obediently serve those in need who God brings into our lives. God does not bring people into your life by accident. If you realize that helping people in certain situations is beyond you, and what you could do and what you could handle, then good. If you realize that it's beyond you, then good. Let the Lord handle the rest. Give of what you can. Let him handle the rest. Now, when you help people, when you come across people, many don't want to ask help with things that are difficult. Sometimes you have to be alert to people's needs that they might not be sharing with you. 
If God brings someone across your path that needs help, listen first. Wait until they ask for advice before you start handing it out. Don't try to give them simplistic answers or formulas to fix their situation. You know, sometimes we're very quick to remind people that God is in control when they're hurting. And I think that, well, our intentions are good. Part of also, part of the reason why we do that, why we quickly go to God's sovereignty, is that it gets us out of the uncomfortableness of their situation. Instead of sitting with them in their pain, mourning with them as we are told to do, we try to wrap it up theologically really quick for them. I was listening to a message this week from uh, Pastor Paul David Tripp. And he gave a good reminder that nowhere does Scripture ever deny that people go through incredibly, incredibly horrible stuff in this world. So when we help people, when we sit with them, we need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and very slow to just wrap up their problems as if it's all going to be better quickly. We need to learn how to mourn with those who are mourning, to say, yeah, this is incredibly difficult. They might need to hear that God's in control, but they might not need it right then. They might need to know that he cares. Don't quickly wrap up, try to give someone a simplistic answer when they need help. Sit with people in their pain, pray for them, be there for them, talk with them, ask them, what they need, and be present. If someone has a situation that requires professional services, such as medical or mental health professionals, point them in the right direction. Help them find the solutions that you can't provide. And then give the help that you can. Give what you can. Take the time to pray, to sit, to listen, to be there for them. We are called to obediently serve those in need who God brings into our lives. And it will be difficult. And the amazing thing is, just like with the disciples, he wants to do his miraculous works of service through us. He wants to do his work through us, his followers. So where do you begin? Where do you begin? Sign up. Find a way to get involved with the ministries around here. Take up the challenge that Bob gave us last week to get into the lives and homes of our neighbors. Get to know the people around you. Volunteer. Give of your time. The Lord does not bring people or their tragic, challenging circumstances into our lives or to the house next door on accident. And I get it. Sometimes neighbors are hard to love, but that's what we're called to do. We are called to obediently serve those in need who God brings into our lives. He wants to do his miraculous works of service through us. Today we've seen the testing the 12 disciples faced as they were called to serve and go out under Christ's authority. 
we also saw how they failed to rely on his power, as they failed to recognize who he was. And lastly, we've seen that we need to rely on his empowerment, on the empowerment of Christ, as we ourselves serve others. As you go out and you come across people who need love, who are in desperate situations that need service, remember to rely not on your own strength to serve others, but to rely on the all-powerful one, Jesus Christ, the one who alone could trample the waves of the sea to empower you to serve others and to meet their needs, no matter how impossible it might seem. Let's pray.